You know, today's uh, message is uh, is a real very clear directive, and it, it's it's like a it's kind of like the Lord, at least in my pers- perspective of this, is open opening up um, a couple of treasure troves of understanding for us. Only God could do that. But before we go there, I, I, just, um, I just rejoice at the testimony that, that Ken gave. Um, I was remembering a year ago, at this time, I was just coming out of the hospital, and there was some discussion as to whether, from that one right there, Maybe we should push the seminar back a little bit so I could regain strength. And um, here it is a year ago, walking in perfect health and strength. And that's what God wants for all of us. There's a measure of restoration for each of you in the things that you're dealing with. And some, God's been sifting through your life, and he's been really probing areas that are around the core of who he made you to be and i know it's somewhat uncomfortable but it's necessary for the greater good of who you are and we just need to trust that he is doing these things very meticulously and he loves you and all is um all's going to turn out for not only the good but in a prospered way so um Let's uh, let's be uh, continually mindful of that. And uh, before we get into the word here, I do want to especially congratulate uh, Pastor Luciano and Anna on the birth of their little girl Sarah. Um, and I, I, of all the people that have seen the picture of that, the first thing they say is, "Look at that hair." <laughs> <laughs> Both of my girls and the twins were little cue balls. <laughs> we used to try to put bows on Kelly's head, and she wouldn't have any of it. She just whacked that thing right off, those few strands that were holding on. And then we saw when she had little girls that they've got little bows. In fact, Megan sometimes wear a bow about the size of a satellite dish. So anyway, congratulations to the Munices for that um, for that great gift uh, of God. You know, I I was doing our uh, Brazilian ministry last week, and I at first thought, you know, Anna, you may not want to do this. You know, you're great with child, and you've got the birth coming up on Wednesday, and she wasn't hearing any of it. I mean, she, yeah, we're going to do this, and. And then I said, after we did the broadcast, I said, now, do you want me to send the, the word that, that I usually provide for this other group of pastors and that she then takes and does the transliteration on the bottom and the, you know, the little runner on the bottom? And she said, yes, send it. <laughs> so they're tough down there in Brazil. So we bless that little baby. Let's get into the word. Um, today, this two-verse passage that Peter speaks is phenomenal. I mean, the Spirit just opened up this 
and we're just going to talk about the various things that are here. Um, there's a, you know, there's a very big difference between what Peter wrote and what Paul wrote. Sometimes I read the things that Paul wrote, and they're for us. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, he's writing these epistles to these outposts in what is now Turkey and in the various parts of what they call Asia, and I'm thinking, how does anybody that's in that church understand a thing he's writing? Because he's talking these incredibly deep things. In fact, even Peter says, you know, some of the things our brother Paul writes are very hard to understand, but we know they're of God. And so I know that what the Spirit spoke through Paul in the way he spoke it was just a meticulous, from the viewpoint of the law, exponential understanding of the mysteries of the Lord that are continually being revealed in the Spirit. Now, Peter, on the other hand, just was very, um, he was not dumb. I don't mean to say that he was unintelligent. That's not what I mean. But his viewpoint was really matter of fact. And two of the words we're going to be looking at today that the Spirit used in Peter's writing are so firmly ingrained in, in, the, in the Greek system. And we'll talk about them. They're, they're really picturesque. They're, they're really part of the Greek storytelling. And, and I think that is, he says some incredibly deep things in the spirit here, but it's from a perspective that's more, I don't want to say entertaining, but more something that, the, the clientele that he addressed and how he addressed them could grab on to. But it's all the Word of God, and it's all the wonderful uh, guidance of the Spirit. So 1 Peter 4, verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. Now, end here really could better be translated as the completion, and that's a big, that's a big difference if, you, if you're talking about eschatology where it's end time, that's different from the word that he uses here, which is the completion. So from Peter's viewpoint, he said, okay, I walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and I can see what's happening now amongst the church, and I can see that how what God has done has brought things together so that we can partner with him for however long he takes in the completion of his plan. So when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he was not saying, okay, any day now, you know, we're, don't any of you die, because if you do, you're going to miss it, you know. That's not what he was saying, and, and I think even what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians he was saying, okay, I don't want you to be troubled. Some of you are die. Some of, no, not some of you I'm writing to have died, but some of the people that you know have died and you're troubled about the Maranatha and, you know, what the Lord said would happen with the kingdom coming. And, but, but, the, but the onus of all of it is that what the Lord came and brought for us positions us to partner with God toward the completion of what his idea what his plan is for man. And so this is what Peter begins with. 
And, and when he says it's at hand, that's a real unique colloquialism because it doesn't only mean proximity, but it's something that we can reach out and take hold of. It's something that we can partner with. It's something that we can lend our hand to the hand of God for whatever measure of beginnings and fulfillments he wants. So on the one hand, you have Peter saying the completion of all things is laying in front of us. We can partner with God in it. We can extend our hand to God, and we can take his hand, and we can partner with him in his hand. And I think that's very exciting. But look at what he says next. These are counsel for the time of completion. We need to pay attention to this. The first thing he says is, be therefore sober. Now, when we think sobriety, immediately we think some measure of staying away from drink, intoxicants, drugs. And, and that's the way we interpret being sober here. And we're going to talk about what sober means, and I think it's going to be a fascinating thing for all of us as saints. But the, the next thing he says is watch unto prayer. That word watch is the one that speaks about staying away from intoxicants. Sober means something totally different. What does it mean? Well, here we have it. This is the Greek word sophroneo, and it comes from two Greek words. One of them is sozo, which means to be saved, to be preserved, and the other one is friend, which we've taught about a lot over the past number of months, and that is that measure of breathing, which is controlled by the discs up here in your neck. And remember when we talked about that, the affections, uh, that is, one of, is this word. Uh, it's how you, you learn and you understand things from God by spending time with Him, by breathing and letting the Spirit reveal things. That's even in medical community. I'm not reteaching this, but they use the phrenic nerve and they talk about this area, recognizing that right here in the neck controls how you breathe, every one of you. And so Paul used that term to say, This is how you learn. This is how you come unto an understanding. It's not a product of your mind, it's a product of you spending time with God and letting His Spirit guide you into truth letting his spirit guide you. And I think it's very interesting that of all the places God, you would have thought, I mean, if Tammy and I were designing this, of course, she's a whole lot smarter than me, we might have said that let's just put that right here so it can coordinate with the lungs. Uh-uh, it's up here. And, I, and again, I think it's interesting that God warns us about being stiff-necked. God warns us about being unwilling to follow him and to harden ourselves as, as a measure of, of, um, of circumcision, which is uh, circumcised to the heart. It addresses this area. And if, if we say, well, we know everything we need to know, we don't need to be taught, this is the way we've always done it, well, we're hardening ourselves, and the Spirit of God cannot guide us into anything new. So any new revelation, immediately we say, because we have a disconnect between our head and our spirit, because there's a blockage there, we won't partner with God, we won't spend time with Him. We say, oh, that's not in the Word, that's not scriptural. 
Well, it's because you are not following the understandings of spending time with God and letting the Spirit which speaks through the living Word breathe anything new to you. The Word is alive. It's quick. It's powerful. And so this term, sober, is, is a really unique combination of friend and sozo. So what does that mean? This is really a neat thing to understand. When the Greek language was being formed, when uh, Homer and Jethro and all the... <laughs> just a joke, this friend knows what that is, Homer and Jethro. Some of you, who's Homer and Jethro? Um, but when Homer and Plato and, and all those other Greek writers... Uh, we're putting together their, their stories, their Iliads, and those kinds of things. They thought, what can we say about people who would come into communication with what they said was the gods, which we believe is either demons or, or you know, a, a, a twisting of what God's idea of sonship is. What can we say about somebody that supposedly goes on a mission for one of these beings in, instead of doing whatever is necessary to preserve themselves. How can we use a term that describes somebody who, who is willing to follow God, but will do so by dying to self, or not considering their own welfare? That's what this term sophroneo is. It's those two terms. So in other words, for us as a Christian, we would say, God has asked me to do this, and we know God has. It's in alignment with the Scripture. The Spirit breathed that into us. But in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to die. The things that I would normally do to preserve myself or to preserve some, some identity I have, um, those things are at risk. And it's very interesting that, that the that ancient Greek concept of abandoning yourself to embrace an inspired pathway is something that we all have to choose. We all chose that originally. You know, I, I remember as a pastor, which my, my standpoint here in the midst of the transition God did, I recognized that the things that I was trained to do and the things that I honed myself to do throughout life in order to preserve things that were important to me. I recognized that when God was telling me we need to do this as a church, that I had to lay down those things that were preserving myself. I had to lay down those things that I was doing to safeguard myself, this church, and, and the, the family. And you had to do those things, too, in your own life. When you follow God, that's why martyria, your testimony, means you die to self. You're willing to die as opposed to preserving yourself. And so Peter says that when you're partnering with God to accomplish what he wants, you all need to recognize that what the Spirit is asking you to do, and you know whether he's asking you or not, is going to is going to require you to lay down the things where you're trying to save yourself. To lay down the things where you're trying to, to safeguard this provision or that provision. And this is such an amazing word. 
Why would Peter use this word? Why would Peter even know this word? It's because, you know, what, what the fishermen do out in the boat, you know, they're all telling stories, they're, they're, they're enjoying these kinds of things, and this was just the way the mindset of the people were, which is probably in some ways, not the only way. Seminary will tell you this is the only reason Jesus spoke in parables, because the people were agrarian and they were uneducated. But to me, those parables span the course of time. I mean, no matter what those folks were living 2,000 plus years ago, we're living the same things today, and those parables are unchanged. But for Peter to use this word right off the bat, God's extending his hand to you you here so that you can partner with him in completing his eternal purpose. So the first thing you have to do is be sober. You've got to keep moving in the things of the Spirit, and you've got to be willing to let those self-preservations you have go by the wayside. Well, if I do this, what will this person think? If I do this, what will my family think? If I do this, what will the district think? If I do this, what will the people in the back foyer think? If I do this, what... Too bad. Will will people leave? Will people go away? They sure did. Which for a pastor is anathema because you're signing your own death warrant when you let that happen. If it would have been any other way, um, there would have been a groundswell. Get him out of here. People are leaving. Or how are are you going to survive when all that tithe walks out the door? You see? And, and so that was a big thing that we as a church had to be willing to die to. Now, sozofren, sofreno. In order to follow God, to be what he wants, lay down your safeguards. Lay down the things that you have in motion that make sense to save yourself. This is the first thing Peter leads off with. And everybody that read this knew exactly what he meant by this. It wasn't some strange thing. Okay, we've got to be sober. That means, boy, we've got to stay frosty now. We've got to watch. Well, that'll only get you so far. <laughs> because if you're not moving in, on behalf of a relationship with God where his spirit is empowering you, and you're gaining directive from him, and you're saying, yes, Lord, I will. That's why Paul died daily. And one of the aspects of him dying daily was he had to lay down all his safeguards. There were a lot of things that Paul, the man, knew. If I do this, they're going to lay some lumps on my head. But he did it anyway. And that's what so many of you have done for the Lord, and we've got to keep on doing it. It's not that we put ourselves in harm's way. Well, you know what? I'm really going to test the Lord here. I'm going to go and do something that's completely asinine just to prove how much I love the Lord. I'm not buying into that. There's going to be plenty of times God will say, you do this for me, and yeah, you're going to be at risk in some way, but you just trust me. I don't need to go out and dream up some way to try to, to, try to impress God at how spiritual I am. It's very interesting that Peter uses this word because, again, again, this word was so much a part of the Greek culture. In fact, you know, the Greek myths that still alive, to still live today, They all knew in order for any of them to work, this word had to be in place. 
you know, if, if you're going to be, uh, going to be uh, on the Iliad and the Odyssey, well, you're out there on that boat and you're putting your life at risk. And, uh, you know, because you've, you've agreed to some word that some spirit has said to you. They all knew what this word meant. We may not, but now we do. And it's beautiful because God waited for, to, to give us this, this kind of a, of, a, of a mandate about the time of the end for a time after you've been walking this for decades. I mean, it's, it's such, it, I just think that the Spirit is just so wonderful. So, like I said, the next word, and watch unto prayer, means to, here is really where sober should be. Uh, to abstain from intoxicants of any kind. And for what purpose? So that you continue to prosukomai. So that you continue to, to know what God is saying when you spend time with him in prayer and you declare that. You walk by that. So why would you use the term intoxicant in front of that? Well, let me first say that it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Budweiser. That was the funny thing when I was growing up. You know, we all knew the things we, we didn't drink, we didn't chew, we didn't run with those who do. But there were a whole lot of other intoxicants that were going on in the church all the time, and we all knew it. I mean, you didn't dare ask brother so-and-so to do this while this was going on. He's not doing it. You didn't dare keep people after noon when the Cowboys were playing. No, 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 no. You didn't do this when uh, there are all kinds of things, and I'm not even talking about buffet meals. There are all kinds of things that people would allow themselves to be not only preoccupied with but overcome by that had nothing to do with Marlboro or Jack Daniels. But those two were the convenient things to where we all thought we weren't intoxicated. And the point was is that they weren't smoking tobacco back then and they weren't drinking down at the brothel. Um, I don't even know what these names are. I just hear about them. But, you know, the point is, is that it's laid beside you continuing to partner with God in supplication where he is giving you insight and he is letting you know what you need to be proclaiming. So Peter says these two things. First of all, God's giving you the opportunity to partner with him in completing his grand plan for this world and man. So therefore, you keep on spending time with him, and you keep on laying down all the things that would rise up to preserve yourself so that you can continue to follow him, and then make sure that you don't let anything get in the way with you spending time with God, hearing from him, and being that kind of prayer individual. <laughs> That's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, that. Yay, Peter, in the power of the Spirit. But he goes on. He doesn't stop there. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Now, fervent simply means without ceasing. 
This is not passion, even though passion would be involved. It simply speaks about make sure that this continues. Don't let it stop. And when we think fervent, we think, oh man, we've got to we got to keep being juiced up, you know. We got to have the goosebumps going because if I don't feel those goosebumps, I really can't move in the Lord. We got to recognize that it's agape. Yes, it can be goosebumpy, but it's more about a devotion to the purpose of God. And a lot of times, when you're really being uh, called upon by God to demonstrate that, it don't feel very good. At the time, you might need a good hand laying on and a, a stirring word. Ain't nobody around to give that. And it's at that point that you've got to prove, I'm committed to what you've asked me to do, regardless of whether there's anybody else around, regardless of whether I can partner with somebody nearby. I'm with you. And so, to me, that really adds a clarity, a, a deeper defining to what fervent means. And of course, agape, which we've studied a lot, means that we are devoted to what our Father is wanting to do for His purpose. And we breathe hard after that. So what else does He say here? Have this fervent charity among yourselves. You all need to be doing it. You need to have a commitment. For charity, agape, covers a multitude of sins. Boy, has this passage been used for lots of things. From gospel missions to all kinds of other stuff. And I'm supportive of the gospel missions. I mean, as a little boy, a couple of Saturdays a month, I would go with my father when he would preach at the gospel mission downtown. I'd sit right there on the front row with all kinds of craziness going on around me. And um, I'd go down there with him when he would do work for them, in the, you know, electrical work in the, in the soup kitchens and the various things. So I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but that's not what this is speaking about here. What does cover mean? This is a really cool word. It's just, how does Peter know these words? I mean, this is amazing. The Spirit... This is such a colorful word because it's, and we should understand this calypto because when we talk about the apocalypse, it's from that. So we under, should understand what this is because if we talk about something that's apocalyptic or the apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation is that, and we understand that this is the overall picture of what God's mystery is and then the mysterions build onto that. But here is what calypto really means. It's two words. One of them you know, klepto, and the other is crypto. How in the world would God say you're going to steal something and you're going to be dealing with a secret mystery? How do those two things come together? Well, it's really great. It's just amazing because, you know, when you, you look how this word is used again in the, in the ancient Greek language, you remember the story of uh, Helen of Troy and how the, uh, the Trojans came uh, the Trojans were protecting against the Greeks, Menelaus, and, 
Agamemnon, and they are all coming to attack because Helen of Troy is, you've seen the Brad Pitt movie, right? Um, you, you, you see that happening, and the, 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 the Greeks aren't able to break through, and so they decide, what did they do? The Trojan horse. And in those writings, this word, Calypto, was used to describe their strategy of hiding something inside that horse in order to go in and get back what was stolen from them, Helen. Now, that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? That was one of the first times this word was ever used. And that basically uh, then became part of their nomenclature. That became part of their vocabulary. And it was used to, to speak about armor, a specific point of armor that might protect a vulnerable place to you, especially if you, if you had an uh, a injury or something that uh, was, was not as strong in your body as it was in everybody else. And you knew where that was. Nobody else necessarily did. You might cover that. Um, a vulnerable gap in, in your defensive lines was specifically covered there so that people couldn't come in. Or to over, uh, under, uncover shame or nakedness. In the Old Testament, when the Septuagint writers were, were translating the Hebrew scriptures for the, the Hellenistic world, they used this word to describe divine revelation or the arm of God, whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. They would use this word. It would describe righteousness. And it even described how Sinai was covered by the cloud. This is such an interesting word because Peter says, you know, charity is going to ignite this kind of thing. Agape is going to ignite this kind of thing. It's going to come and it's going to give you some measure of understanding of a secret thing, something that God wants back, something that was twisted from the, from the, from the iniquity and the, of the rebellion or how men and women are misusing what should be. And it's all about... It's all about coming into partnership with God so that you can come into covenant with him regarding a secret thing to him that he wants back. Isn't that interesting to me? That, to me, that's, that's phenomenal. Now, this word was used in some... If you have this understanding, I'm just going to warn you right off that this resolves some of the most confusing passages in the New Testament. It just If you put this meaning into what Paul writes, it makes perfect sense. One of them is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 16, where Paul goes through that whole discussion about women having their heads covered in church and men not having their head covered. And if you just read it on surface, you end up like the churches over in England did, where when they went to church, all the women had to wear hats. It's one of the strangest things. I remember 1974, I went over there with my pastor throughout the, the British Isles, and I was singing when he was 
not when he was preaching, but <laughs> he's singing, start, he's preaching, start singing. Oh, yeah. But I was amazed by going into church and all these women, all, every one of them were wearing hats. I remember when we went over and we were ministering in Switzerland one of the first times, and we went away and one of the ladies who was leading the prayer ministry there said that some men had come into their prayer group and were telling them that they, they all needed to wear hats. They had to have coverings on their head or they were going to be disappointing God because of this scripture right here. And then further, then you know what the next step was, that all the women had to be silent in those meetings so the men could talk. Well, we had an interesting phone call telling them, you need to get those guys out of there because they, they're just, they're, if you want misogyny and chauvinism, that's not what that scripture means because if it was what it means, then other things Paul wrote makes no sense at all. And God's not confused. All the ladies should be saying amen with that one. So what is Paul talking about there? He's, he's talking about how God created men and women. And he's talking about the glory of partnering with God. And he's talking about how, he's talking about nature, which is how we were created. And he says that in the scope of what God is, and basically you can then take that same thing to where God is our husband and we are the bride. So anybody that's going to interpret this has to say, well, look, he, he is our husband redeemer. I mean, this is, this is, we're talking about the church here. Paul said that marriage is, the, is what the church is. So really what he's talking about is the church is, is being covered by the mystery of God. We are partnering with God in his assignment to believe that what secret things that he has ordained for this time frame that have been stolen and that have been hidden, now God is going to redeem them. That's our covering. That's my covering. That's you co your covering. Now, God himself is not covered. He hides himself, but when he begins to reveal these things, anybody that's watching can see that he's doing it. And who's going to deny that of God? And that whole chapter is about our relationship with God. It wasn't about whether a man's wearing a hat in a church or whether women aren't. And, or, or even, I guess nowadays, wearing an aluminum foil hat with a big top, you know, just so those, those UFOs can't hear what we're saying. What about Moses? This same word is used in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 3 and 4, where it speaks about Moses coming down from the mountain, and he's got the glow of the Lord upon his face. He's got, he's got the mystery of God there, and he had to cover his face because the people didn't want to walk in it. This same word is used. Moses' covering was speaking about partnering with God in redeeming back what God wanted. Very clear, very distinct word. Very, how else do you describe something that's stolen and a secret thing in conjunction with partnering with God? Then it go, he goes on in chapter 4 to speak, if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And did you ever try to describe, especially where the God of this world is moving so powerfully right now, 
<laughs> so many parts of our culture. It seems like they're speaking, I don't even know what language they're speaking because it makes no sense, but they sure believe it. And, you know, the God of this world has clouded their minds. It's, it's like a, a cataract kind of a thing, lest they see. And if, if, if they don't see and understand how we're hidden, it's because they're functioning under the uh, mandates of the God of this world. But we have to be as Moses. It's that same continuity. Who is hearing from God, who is covered by him, whether they understand it or not. And so many times, like I heard a couple of years ago, nonsense coming out of certain camps that used to be saints. Well, we've got to stop praying in diversities of tongues because the world doesn't understand. Or, you know, we've got to stop believing the Scripture because, you know, the world doesn't understand. Or we've got to stop taking such a hard line on, on what, what people should or shouldn't do because we don't want anybody to be left out. You've heard those things. You're living in the midst of that world. But yet we're covered because we are a people who are partnering with God at the completion of all things, and it's regarding what he has desired from the foundation of the world, the crypto type of thing, and, and we're covered by that. He wants it back. It's very interesting. You know, another thing, I didn't list this one here. You can do this study for yourself once you know what this word really means. You can look it up just as easily as I can. Where Jesus is speaking about having a candle, the light of a candle, and it's, it's the city set on a hill, and you don't purposely cover that over, but you let it be on the candlestick for all to see. And then he says, be careful what you hear. He says it right then, because you could be in danger of not representing that light. So how does that fit in? Well, this is, to me, here we are. Let's say this candlestick here in this house. And the Bible speaks about churches who have a very specific identity in God having a candlestick. In fact, Jesus warned, you better get back to what you're supposed to do or I'm going to come and take that candlestick away. I almost sound like a grandpa speaking. <laughs> you better put those toys away. Mom's not going to like it. No, grandma's not going to like it. Um, but, you know, what Jesus was saying here is you're representing. It's like the Father's identity is upon you. And so you've got to be very careful that how you're, whatever you're hearing, whatever you're letting influence, that you don't take matters in your own hands and say, okay, this identity that God's given, I'm going to use my strengths and my skill. I know this may be a little confusing and cover that over. You can't do that. You either have that light and the candlestick, or you don't. But for those who have it, we don't cover it in our own house. You see? It's there because you are walking in that covering. Anyway, I, I, I just think it's interesting. So, the last part of this is that the agape will employ this thing in regard to a multitude of sins. Now, again, when we, uh, when we read this in English, it sounds like, you know, if you just love people, you just let them do whatever they want to do because, you know, 
Yeah, they're, they're just full of sin. They're just silly with it. So if we just love them, we'll just let them do what they want. That's not what this means. Because a multitude here, if you look at the meaning of this word, it, it, it's kind of like saying a crowd. It's a mess. There's a whole lot of things moved in there, and it's, it's an influence in itself, but there's so many factors to it. It's not detailing the numerical value. It's talking about the sum of it being there, like a crowd or like a, a mob. And, and so multitude is there, and, and it's in regard to missing the mark. Sometimes I think, and I'm sure you do too, when I hear what's going on in the world, and I see the nonsense that's just, you know, right is wrong and wrong is right, and, and I think, this is such a mess. I have no idea. The, the missing of the mark is multitudinous. It's just like, it's like a rat's nest. It's just all woven in there. How in the world is God ever going to be able to resolve any of this other than just wiping it out? How is this going to happen? Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> I bet you do. It can be exasperating if we think about it too much, and especially if we forget what Peter is really saying here. If we are being a people who believe that, especially as saints, that when we pray, we're partnering with God regarding the secrets of his eternal plan, the restoration of his purpose, that which has been stolen, he wants it back. If we're that kind of people and we continue to seek hard after the Lord, doing what he says to do at, at the risk of our own safety, at the risk of our own reputation, if we are that kind of people who will then follow God and keep ourselves from other things that would dumb us down or to cause us to let our agape go away, if we can do all those things and keep seeking after him with all of those inputs together, which basically describes the saints, God will be able, and only God will be able, to look at that mess and know how to address the key point of it to where his glory can be known. That's just interesting to me. So, you can read it in the King James, which is anointed and wonderful. I'm thankful for it. And say that charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And you can look at that from a philanthropic or benevolent standpoint. Or you can apply what the Spirit actually said through Peter in very colorful ways that says you've got to do all these things to partner with God in the time of completion and you just have to trust the fact that where there is a rat's nest of missing the mark, that that agape is going to guide you in partnership with God as an intercessor to see things resolved in a way to where God's purpose is known and what has been stolen will be showcased. Does that mean everybody's going to acknowledge it? No. 
I, that still, still baffles me, but we've seen it in our own walk, haven't we? You know, how can God put Satan away for a thousand years, have kings and priests functioning for those thousand years with Jesus as the light, have moving in the power of the Lord in the camp of the saints, and then as soon as Satan is, by God's directive, loosed out of the hoosgow, he goes all over the place, and the people follow him as the sand of the sea, and they surround the camp of the saints to try to destroy them. How in the world can that happen? How can Jesus be healing a man with a withered arm, and on the other side of that small synagogue, people be saying, you've got to kill this guy, not the guy that was healed, the one that healed him. How can that happen? How can God be moving in power in a place like this and people are being changed, and people are being illuminated by the Word, and people are gaining insight, but in just a few feet away, people saying, that's not scriptural, we got to put a stop to it. What kind of thing can we hatch up to try to destroy this? How can that happen? You've lived it. We've seen it. God's caused us to be preserved by it. So I don't know how when God redeems something and His glory is seen and people are being set free and the power of the Spirit is moving across entire neighborhoods, we're going to see that. We've seen it in history. We're going to see it again in incredible ways. How in the world, when that multitude of sin is resolved, will there still be people by the droves who say, I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, I'm going to do whatever I can to destroy it. I don't know how that is. <laughs> but like Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's kind of a downer to say, but it's, it's nothing that you don't already know. But it's the agape that's the lifeblood of all of this. Because it's that devotion to keep seeking the Lord that keeps generating insight from the Spirit so that your understandings and your affections are continually growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And then you're saying, I am going to continue to partner with you under this covering that says, what belongs to you, Father, we're partnering with you in so that it can be redeemed. I, I think that's wonderful. I think, don't you? I mean, Peter just goes through this in these two verse, verse, verses, I sound like an Indian, uh, two verses, and um, basically speaks these deep pneumaticos things under the power of the Spirit. I'm grateful for this. This is Peter's counsel for the time of the end. And we're still partnering with God. We're still under his covering we are still a people that are receiving revelation from God. We're still at a people that are willing to, to say, I'm going to do this, and it's my privilege to do it, regardless of what it means for me individually. I, I, just, I just am astounded by this. And, um, because these, again, these words that Peter used were so much a part, so much a part of the ideas that were in the people, you know, they, every one of these people that sat in an amphitheater or sat around a fire and listened to stories from the Iliad and the Odyssey, they all knew 
this word. And this is what the Spirit used. But beyond that, it's what we do. It's what we, you and I were created to do in the things of the Spirit. So this counsel from, from Peter, it's up to each of us to say, how am I doing? You know? Am I, am I making sure that the agape has not gone dim in my life? Am I making sure that I am still spending time with God so that I can hear from him, gain understanding from him? Am I still dying to self on behalf of that? Am I still recognizing that when I pray in tongues, I'm speaking to God in his mysterion, his mystery, which is the ongoing um, chapters of this apocalypsis? You realize that the, the book of the end, isn't this interesting? The book of Revelation is really with this enhanced definition saying, this is the book of how God is going to bring back things that were stolen from him, but he's going to do it in mysteries. <laughs> That's the whole thing. It had nothing to do with destruction. It has to do with restoration. And when you pray in unknown tongues in the mysterion every day, and God is building that up, it's point by point toward that end of the overall mysteries of God. Peter's basically describing what you've been living and what God continues to call us to live. And this is, this is just a wonderful thing. And so I end with this. I mean, um, <laughs> this is one of those, I, I, don't, I only tell you this because I want to encourage those of you who, who really want to hear from God and you do hear from God, that it doesn't have to be a trumpet call in the middle of the night. It doesn't have to be some words emblazoned in fire in front of you. God speaks in really unique ways. I don't mind saying that yesterday afternoon I was studying about a lot of things. I'm getting ready for seminar. You know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, with all the things the Lord's wanting at least me to share, how, what's the flow pattern? What needs to happen? Where does it fit? You know, and so I do that leading up to seminar. I kind of wait till right before because you never know what God's going to say next. So you just got to wait to hear. So yesterday late afternoon, I was thinking, okay, Father, with all these things I'm looking at, what do you want me to share tomorrow? And I got nothing. And so I'm not troubled by that. I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to grieve over it. I'm not going to try to force something to happen. That's bad news. And so I went to bed thinking, okay, I'll get up, and in the morning, the Spirit will say something. And so 3 o'clock, bing, I'm awake, and the Lord I heard this scripture, um, the end of all things is at hand. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of an ominous thing. <laughs> Are we going to make it through the night? <laughs> I don't know about Debbie, but I'm going to make it. <laughs> just, just a yoking. So... Uh, so I went ahead and got up, and I knew where this scripture was. I knew it was in Peter, but I didn't know. Forgive me. I didn't know exactly the, the verse. So I pulled it up, and 
seven and eight. At first, I thought just seven. And then when I started looking at eight, you know, there was that calypto word, and, and I thought, wow, this is what you want us to share today. So God, God wants to continue to speak to all of you. And it may just be very simple things that have profound impact. Don't miss them. And don't, don't ever underestimate. I've basically, the Spirit, through these two verses, has basically detailed the story of your life for the past 20 years. You've been living this. And it's what God's been training you for. And the, the wonderful thing about it is that just like in, in Sunday school class today, we can see these scriptures and we recognize God's been training me. Isn't that true? He's been showing me how precious this is, the unsearchable riches of the scripture. There, there they are. There's always more, but it's built in a line-upon-line way. And I just think we're in a measure of functionality now. This transition has led us into a new land of function. And we're still learning, but we're, we're being privileged to be able to apply these things now. And I see that over the months where, okay, here's, here's the application of power. This is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. This is how... Don't, don't let, and he's, he's, he's not dredging up old scriptures, as wonderful as they are. He's touching in scriptures that we've known, but we've not looked at before. Only God can do that kind of thing. Only God could preserve, particularly this word for now, to where we as pneumaticos saints would understand what he's saying in the perfect time where his hand is taking ours in a new point for a new measure of completion. So be encouraged. This gathering of the feast next week is going to be profound in the spirit. Things God's going to do, the ways he's going to insert impartation and promotion and healing and provision. and it, this, this, is, this is holy ground. And we need, to, we need to really expect this. We need to put out intoxicants. And um, we need to guard against urgencies, emergencies, and any kind of other seas. <laughs> we need to just, we need to not let anything uh, detract from what the Spirit is going to do in you and through you in these days. Amen? So, you didn't know today you were going to come and hear about the Trojan horse or um, how the, the Greeks thought they were partnering with the gods. But this is, these are the words that the Spirit used, and they're describing your life. Not what necessarily you will be, but what you are right now and what you're continuing to be. And I'm grateful for that. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for this, this very holy pathway that you've placed us on. Help us to be worthy of what you've asked us to do, to bear the burden that you have entrusted to us, which is what worthiness is.
and help us to be pleasing in your sight. I ask that you would release the spirit of encouragement to all of your saints. I ask that you would strengthen them. I, I, I ask that you would fill them with a terrible resolve for your purpose. And may that be an impartation unlike anything we've ever known. Oh, God, we thank you for your goodness. And I, I just ask for a continued measure of protection and covering and provision and promotion to be upon your people and um, help us as we walk with you throughout this day and this week. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. God bless you all. Appreciate you tuning in wherever you are watching. And for all of you who are here, God bless you all. We will see you soon. What? Oh, registration. At the beginning of the message, I reminded you of this. And at the end, register online. Amen. Thanks.